With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together, we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. And John Ramos. Ramos. Working one-armed today on this boom. VKR edition, if you will, of the Doug Gottlieb Show here on Fox Sports Radio. It's a Friday. Everybody's excited for the weekend Everyone except Dwayne Casey, who lost his job today, fired as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors after a season where they won 59 games with the top seed in the East, but were swept in the Eastern Conference semifinals by the Cleveland Cavaliers. I am hearing rumblings, Dan. Guess who's coming back? Interesting. Toronto legend, Cito Gatson. Is that his name? Cito Gaston. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the that too. Him too. They're both coming back, Dan. Maybe Rocket Ismail will be the new head coach of the Raptors as he returns to Toronto in a different sport like Cito Gaston would. Shocking that Dwayne Casey, Dwayne Casey, I've just made up that name, Dwayne Casey is done as the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. I don't know if shocking is because we had heard rumblings that maybe something could be on the way, but I was surprised when I heard the news because Jonas When you look at the Toronto Raptors, you have an organization that let's just say isn't doesn't have a deep tradition of greatness. Came in the league in the mid-90s, made a conference final for the first time just two years ago 
under Dwayne Casey. But in a span of really a week, Dwayne Casey went from the top of the world to the unemployment line. And you look at the four games that they lost to the Cleveland Cavaliers. In my mind, it is a direct result of what happened in that series. And in my mind as well, I don't think it's a a majority of the blame should be on Dwayne Casey. But as we've seen many times in sports, the player stays and the coach goes. And Toronto, for whatever optics reasons they want, ended up dismissing Dwayne Casey today. I was thinking about this uh, last night when I was on uh, Fox Sports Radio. And I was thinking about, I wonder if... How much Steven's success, because you know in sports, it's always a copycat league. If if one team has success doing something, then another team will try and emulate it. You look at uh, the Bears this offseason. They're basically just copying what the L.A. Rams did a year before. That's the, that's the whole goal. Let's see if we can do what they did. And so when you see teams around the league, I wonder how much pressure, and I was thinking this and talking about it last night, to where I wonder how much pressure Steven's success with a depleted roster, uh, missing the two stars, and a young coach in the Eastern Conference, how much success him having is going to put pressure on other coaches around the NBA because it's almost set an unreasonable standard because you have no idea how really good Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum are. You have no idea whether or not he's working with more talent than we all realize because they're so young. But because of the success, no coach in the NBA can say to their owner, well, I was dealing with injuries, or I had this come up, or because they can all go, okay, well, what's he doing? Because he's back in the conference finals, and we're at home, and we can't beat LeBron James to save our life. And I think, I think there's pressure from the outside. I think what he did benching DeMar DeRozan at the end of that game. And listen, for the argument they had, Shaq and Charles Barkley had an argument. And when they were going back and forth, it was about an issue between Dwayne Casey and one of his star players. Nothing. He's got to repair his relationship with DeMar DeRozan. No, he don't. Uh, yes, he does. No, he doesn't. Yeah, you have to, because, uh, listen, that, that, listen, if your best player, you bench your best player. He, well, why was he benched? Uh, he, it, that's not the point. It is the point. You don't disrespect your best player. Listen. If you don't have a great relationship with your best player, you're never going to win. That's not true. Uh, he did not. That's play, not true. He did not, well, he, he, in that's your opinion. No, just because you say something, it's just That's not true. Me, no, it's not true. Me and Pat Roddy never saw eye to eye and what happened to my man win. So it's not true what no, you're saying. With your best player. You don't know what you're talking no, about I'm when it comes to championship. I'm just no. telling you something. Stop Why do you care what you that champion? No matter how much you scream, you loud. Listen. That does not listen, make you right. Listen. You're wrong in the city. You can, and that's yeah, why you ain't yeah, winning. Yeah, you was yeah. a baby. Stop no, babying no, these players. No, I'm baby, no player. He don't play. Uh, no, he don't play. You got to sit his ass down. Period. Guess what? Charles Barkley was right. Because he yeah, and, and it's well, not and it's not that it's right. It's just he was right. It's not the the fact that they are going to pick the player over the coach. It doesn't mean Dwayne Casey was wrong, but in that instance, Charles Barkley was right. I think the writing was on the wall. It's always been that case. And where Shaq got it wrong in that argument is that DeMar DeRozan is not on Shaq's level. You can have the elite, elite players not get along with your coach and end up having things work out. But this is different, Jonas, for the simple fact of Shaq, sure he had Kobe, and sure he had Dwayne Wade alongside him, but Shaq was dominant, especially in those Laker years of of I I still say that he's the most dominant player that the NBA yes. has seen in the last twenty years. There's just no way to stop him offensively. When you look at what Shaq was, you know what, you just end up living with 
Pat Riley and Shaquille O'Neal not getting along because it's too valuable. In Toronto, you're just like, all right, Dwayne Casey isn't Pat Riley. DeMar DeRozan isn't Shaquille O'Neal. So you've got to figure out some sort of relationship, even though this isn't the best. I think that this team maxed out with what they've got, and I think that's why Masai Ujiri made a move is that he realized this ceiling is what it is and the optics of it. And if there's going to be apathy with Toronto not being able to move on, something's got to be different. And again, the coach ends up going. But you have got a team that has DeMar DeRozan with three years left on his contract, Kyle Lowry with two years left on his contract, Serge Ibaka's got two years. You're paying Norman Powell $42 million over the next four years. There's not a lot of room for them to go anywhere, Jonas, with new personnel. So something had to be done optics-wise. And Dwayne Casey ends up being the fall guy for the simple fact of this team's ceiling is just not that high, and he's the one that has to take the out. You can't fire all the players. It's a a cliche we've heard all the time. Dwayne Casey ends up having to deal with now unemployment because the Raptors are a team that just aren't going to be – they aren't good enough to compete for a title. And I give them credit for what they put together in the regular season. Yeah, it's, fu- it's fine. Yeah. But, but but when you swing for the fences this many times, they have made, if you look at the three big moves that they've made, or the, the three big strategic moves that they've made over the past year and a half, it was let's go for broke at the trade deadline last year, which everybody lauded them for. And remember, everybody criticized Danny Ainge for not wanting to trade with Paul for Indiana to try and acquire Paul George. They swung for the fences, and they missed. Then in the offseason, they went out, they added pieces, Ibaka to an extension, they, they thought they'd figure this out, added a bunch of players, swung for the fences, and they missed again. And then Dwayne Casey decided, all right, I've got to try and inject something into this team to try and get them to, to, to fire up, get them, get them going, and so I'm going to bench my star player, my best player, for the final, what, 12, 14 minutes of regulation yeah. in a playoff game. And guess what? You swung for the fences, and you missed. Like, that's... They have taken high-risk, high-reward gambles over the past year and a half, and none of them have resulted in rewards. It's all been fails. Here's the difference that I see is those risks were front office risks. Oh, Dwayne Casey benching DeMar DeRozan actually worked out. You know, like he's – he ends up being the scapegoat because the Raptors were actually in game three. He wasn't the one to miss all those shots in game one. All of the moves you mentioned were of Masai Ujiri and the Raptors' front office – and they failed at doing their job, so then he ends up being the scapegoat in all of this. That's where it's where if maybe it's, you know, in the long run, maybe it's a situation that Dwayne Casey is going to get out of and at some point will find a better situation with a core that has a higher ceiling. But with all of the examples that you laid out, those were things that Toronto felt that they set up. It's like trying to win a it's trying to win a hand of blackjack with fifteen. Uh, well, you know, I yeah, mean, it's and uh, the other the dealer busts and uh, Hall of Famer Chris Carter, uh, Pro Football Hall of Famer. He actually saw this coming several years ago. If y'all got a crew, <laughs> you got to have a fall guy. <laughs> if y'all got swept, got to have a fall guy. I, I am curious on what Masai Ujiri did think Dwayne Casey did wrong as he spoke earlier today. Nothing in particular that. Oh, that's nice. Um, Coach Casey did wrong, but uh, I think uh, it was time to time for this to yeah. happen. Oh, <laughs> no reason. Nothing no reason. in particular. That- wow. 
I would have made up something. Oh, no kidding. I, I would have. I mean, that anything. Just, that you, just do what the Redskins did to Scott McLuhan. Tell everybody he was drinking on the job after he leaves. My goodness. Uh, nothing in particular. We just felt that we needed a change. <laughs> after you have won 59 <laughs> games, the only hope, true, uh, Jonas, as well, for this team to advance to the NBA Finals was to get a home court throughout the playoffs. Like, they weren't going to go on the road and steal a couple of games and end up making a Cinderella run to the NBA Finals. They did what they needed to do in the regular season. The other thing that I like what Dwayne Casey did is, you know what? His starting five wasn't good enough to be dominant in the in the East, but their second five was pretty darn good. Throughout the season, we talked about the Raptors bench being the one of the strongest, if not the strongest in the NBA. The, he figured out a way for them to get that number one seed. Now, in the playoffs, benches get a little bit shorter, and maybe it's not as much of an advantage for the Toronto Raptors, but he did as much as he could for 30-some-odd weeks of the season and in the span of a week with nothing in particular the reason he ends up losing his job. It's nothing all... in particular. No, nothing in particular. Uh, do you think there's anything to that there's sort of an unrealistic expectation because everybody sees what Brad Stevens has done and there could be owners or general managers out there who think, well, if he can do it, why the hell can't we? No I, more excuses. I don't because I think people realize how good Brad Stevens is. And I think they realize Other coaches didn't. I think so, that I think that's part of the reason why he didn't get a vote while they voted for Dwayne Casey's because I think coaches fe- are feeling the heat. I think they see a guy who's doing it differently than they've ever done it before, and I think this is the first sign of that. But remember, when he's coaching, he has Kyrie for m- a decent amount of the season, a majority of the season. And so they improved two games in that coach's battle. Like the coaches that were named – or like Doc Rivers. Yeah, you know, I mean, they were the ten seed. And and I'm and, I'm not saying it's the right thing to do, yeah. but I do th- I do wonder if there are elements of that out there. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific, on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Seven years in the books for Dwayne Casey. Now his tenure with the Toronto Raptors is over. Trying to sort out the mess that is in Toronto. He covers the NBA for Yahoo Sports. Dan Devine joins us here on Fox Sports Radio. Hey, Dan, thanks so much for the time. Uh, My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Okay, Masai Ujiri just said that for no particular reason they fired Dwayne Casey. So I'm going to rely on you. What was the reason they fired Dwayne Casey today? Uh, because it is as difficult as it is, and you know, Masai Ujiri said it was like the hardest thing he's ever had to do in his career. It's easier than trying to figure out how to improve the roster when you you're paying Serge Ibaka forty five million dollars for next year for the next two years, and Kyle Lowry, you know, somewhere near seventy million for the next three years, and uh, you know, and Demar Derozan getting uh, a ton of money over the next few years, like. They've locked into that roster, and that roster has just gotten swept out of the postseason for the second straight uh, spring, not even playing into summertime, and that's that's tough. You know, like they they needed to change something because you know, like the the spirit surrounding the team was just you know waylaid and you know reduced to rubble by LeBron James and the Cavs in that second round, and they can't change all the players that they need to change so this is the button that you hit um i think it's uh it's it's tough you know Dwayne Casey is the most successful coach that franchise has ever seen this is the longest sustained run of success uh that the raptors have ever had uh you know the the to to a man those players uh you know talk you know you know in glowing terms about what Casey has done for their development and what he's meant for them et cetera et cetera 
Um, he didn't necessarily do himself any favors in terms of the way he, you know, he's managed some of those the rotations in the postseason and some of the choices that he made. Uh, you know, not using timeouts at certain times, using too many of them at other times. Uh, you know, putting uh, lineups on the floor that might not necessarily have had the best chance of succeeding, so on and so forth. But uh, it's an incredibly successful head coach and a guy who's meant an awful lot to Toronto that winds up on you know the uh, you know on the, the you know on, you know looking for a new gig because. They have just not been able to get over the hump. Uh, Dan Devine, uh, Yahoo NBA insider, with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Dan, do you think, and and I, maybe I'm overthinking this, but do you think there's any element of of an unrealistic expectation for coaches in the league now because of what Brad Stevens has been able to do with the injuries that he's sustained this year? I think, I mean, it's certainly remarkable what Boston's been able to, to do in terms of, of withstanding Gordon Hayward's loss on opening night and then Kyrie Irving going out uh, with about a month to go in the season. Um, and an awful lot of credit for that has gone to Brad Stevens, who, you know, uh, you know draws rave reviews around the league. I mean, it's also worth remembering, though, it's not exactly like he had, he's had a, a bear cupboard to go to even so. Like, you know, the, 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 the roster that Danny Ainge has built there that is, you know, deep enough and, and talented enough to be able to withstand those losses, is, is, you know, deserves an awful lot of credit too. Both Ainge for building the roster and those players for stepping into the role uh, roles that they needed to. Uh, you, you know, even as Stevens has kind of, you know, created the opportunities for them and helped them along. That said, I mean, I think that it's sort of we've been moving in this direction more and more over the last handful of years, in, independent of, of Brad Stevens. It's that, you know. For a lot of these franchises, if you're not winning a title, then it's a you know a lost season. You know, you reach a certain level of of competitive, uh, you know, sort of competition and a certain level of success. And if you're not able to get, you know, grab the ring, grab the the, the trophy, it winds up you know that you're you know even 59 wins doesn't matter. You know, we saw Lionel Hollins wind up on the outside of Memphis after the best season of franchise history in a conference finals run. Uh, you know, Doc Rivers you know, has not lost his coaching job, but lost his personnel privileges after, uh, you know, the longest sustained run in Clippers history. It, it is a really, really tough gig. Um, and, you know, this is, this, but this is the, these are the stakes that these, these coaches and these teams are playing for when you get to that level. If you don't wind up getting to the finals, if you don't wind up winning the title, you've got to reassess and see where you're at. And, you know, suddenly, you know, when you, when you think about it in that context, those ideas of, well, when you're tanking, your, your teams decide to start tanking for the kind of transformational talent that can win you a championship. Like that's what they're doing it for, because you know, if you if you land those players, you land that sort of roster that gives you the chance to win. Then you know you're going to you know give yourself a chance to stick around for longer than than not. Because if you don't have it, you're going to wind up outside. What would have saved Dwayne Casey's job? Beating LeBron James and the and getting to the NBA Finals, I, and, I think. And that's and this is what I'm thinking about because if you're the Toronto Raptors, you have basically decided that because Dwayne Casey didn't beat one of the top two or three all-time great players and potentially meet up with one of the greatest teams of all time, then he's no longer fit to be head coach. Like that's crazy expectations. I mean, I, in this time, in this day and age. I completely agree with you, but I think it's, I mean, there, there comes a point where that's the stakes that, that you're playing for, you know, that, uh, you know, great teams, you know, excellent teams of, of, of you know, over however many years, you know, the, the Knicks that couldn't get over the hump against Jordan's Bulls, you know, all, you know many, many examples that are, you know, you know, beyond that, when, you know, you, you just don't get over that, you know, that rival, when you don't get to the promised land, even against, you know, uh, you know competing with the all-time greats, 
you wind up running out of time. And so, I mean, I, I really, with Dwayne Casey, I really, it feels like that's the, the rock and the hard place Masai Ujiri was sort of, uh, you know, put in here or put himself in to some degree. That, like, if you're not, you have to be moving in some direction. And the, sort of the last bullet that could have been fired in that way was when they completely overhauled their approach, their offensive approach last year. It's not going to be isolation ball with DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry playing 40 minutes a game and taking all the shots anymore. We're going to spread the ball out, more three-pointers, more motion, more, you know, better trusting of the bench, you know, bringing up these younger guys and developing them. Many hands make light work. We're going to share and share and share. And they did that, and it worked. It won them 59 games. It made them, you know, they had a top-five offense, a top-ten defense. They were one of the best teams in the NBA all season long, and it didn't matter at all when it matters most. And so when you've completely changed the culture, when you've completely changed sort of who you are and said, you know, this is the, the stylistic approach we're going to take, and it doesn't work out, then the choices are you get rid of the coach or you change the players. And I think it's just impossible to, to, for Masai Ujiri to say with any certainty he's going to necessarily be able to change those star players at the core and whether or not that would leave them in a competitive situation moving forward. So this is the choice that gets made. In the 2016-2017 season, the Raptors were second to last in assists in the NBA. This past regular season, they were up to sixth. So to that's to your point about what they changed offensively. Dan Devon of Yahoo Sports joining us here on Fox Sports Radio. You can find him on Twitter at Your Man Divine. Who gets to a conference finals or an NBA finals first, this Raptors core or Dwayne Casey somewhere else? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, I think it, would, it depends on what kind of job Dwayne Casey takes next. Um, and and uh, yeah, and I, so I mean, you know, the, the most attractive option out there probably is Milwaukee. That opening where you know you you walk into having Giannis Antetokounmpo, who is the kind of you know, top 10 caliber player that, you know, with all due respect to DeMar DeRozan and Kyle Lowry, that Casey did not have in, mm-hmm. uh, in Toronto. Um, there's obviously a lot more sort of formalizing and, and, and structure that needs to be, we need to be put into place there to, you know, develop an identity and a system around Giannis's talents. But Casey's shown he can do that kind of work, right? He's, you know, he, he built that franchise or built that sort of uh, the, that culture in, in Toronto that has sustained them over the course of the last six, seven years. I think that would be an interesting marriage of kind of coach and opportunity. Um, but, uh, you know, that's, obvious, that's also going to be a sort of hotly contested gig, and there are other coaches that will be in the mix there. Um, and whatever, you know, whoever winds up coming in and following up in Toronto uh, is going to have some, you know, some pretty big shoes to fill, and the names that we've seen, you know, uh, spoken about so far, whether it's Mike Budenholzer out of Atlanta, it's not like he's, he's got a glowing resume of knocking off the Cavs himself coming out of the Hawks situation. Um, you know, they're sort of finding that last, uh, that next boost to get them to that next level with the roster they've got as presently constituted. It's going to be awful tough. So I guess I would say, just because I have no idea where Casey's going next, that Toronto's probably a higher likelihood, but if he lands one of those kind of gigs where you wind up with a top five, top ten player, uh, you know, certainly an attractive uh, attractive opportunity there. Uh, Dan Devine, Yahoo Sports, uh, NBA insider with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Last one for me. Should the Houston Rockets series play out similar to how the Cavs and the Raptors series played out? Could we see the same thing happen to Mike D'Antoni based on it's kind of a similar situation. It's all about getting past the top team in the conference. This will be, you know, a couple of years in a row you've swung for the fences and come up short. Is that the next step for D'Antoni? 
I don't think so, if only because it's, you know, it's uh, Tony's second year in Houston. It's the first year of the Chris Paul kind of experiment there. Their first matchup with the, with the Warriors, uh, with, you know, with this kind of core, this lineup. So I, I, would, I wouldn't imagine that they'd go out and look for a, a new head coach, right? You know, this, this sort of this quickly if it didn't go their way against Golden State. Um, the other thing is I, I, I would have a really hard time envisioning Golden, I mean, as, as good as the Warriors are, as excellent as the Warriors are, Going in and just completely blowing the, the blowing Houston's doors off and, and winning it in four straight, I find like I think that's really really unlikely. Um, so I, I don't think the the Rockets would be coming off of a, as sort of dispiriting a defeat and as difficult a situation uh, as Toronto uh, did with Casey there. But um, I mean, listen, you know, uh, Daryl Morey, the GM in Houston, has made no 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 secret that he sort of only thinks he's obsessed with the idea of how do we beat the the Warriors, how do we beat the Warriors. Um, so I suppose anything's possible, you know, if uh, if they flamed out in sort of amazing fashion. But I, I would imagine that that uh, D'Antoni's more likely to be safe, sort of, no matter what the outcome of that series. They is. give the Raptors credit. We care more about their off season than anything they did during the season. <laughs> so Dan Devine covering the NBA for Yahoo Sports. Find him on Twitter at Your Man Devine. We appreciate it, Dan, and enjoy the conference finals. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. He's the author of his memoir, Is Simple Enough? I'm Keith Hernandez, two-time World Series champ and five-time All-Star Keith Hernandez joins us here on Fox Sports Radio. Hey, Keith, thanks so much for coming on today. Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's start with the, the reasoning behind this book that you wrote what what was the reason that you wanted to write a memoir and why was it important for you to cover the early part of of your baseball career instead of maybe the most popular parts of your life whether it be time with the Mets or the the Seinfeld appearance why was it important for you to cover the early part of your career well I think we uh my writer my 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 co-author Mike Ponce we it was a two and a half year project and we had three deadlines pushed back and uh, we realized that they wanted a 90,000 word book which is around 330 pages and um, if we were going to do my entire life up to present and have any kind of anything in depth uh, it would have uh, been an 800 page book and it also would have required another year and a half so early on um, we decided, along with Little Brown, the publishing company, that we would focus on my formative years. Every, everything's been written about 86. Um, it, this is a, a book about, everybody knows who I was then, the polished player at that point in my career, but no one knew my journey uh, from childhood to get there, my childhood dream. So we decided to do that and, and focus on the long, hard road that wasn't an easy road. A lot of setbacks, a lot of disappointments, you know, a lot of really depressing down times, and uh, it wasn't an easy road. I got sent down my first, you know, in 75. I struggled my first two years in the minor leagues in A-ball and double-A. Uh, I struggled my first three years in in uh, in the big leagues, and... I didn't really feel that I belonged on the same field and fully confident that I was a major league player deserving to be on the same field as Pete Rose, Willie Stargell, Tom Seaver, 
Steve Carlton, Steve Garvey, until really after April by, uh, in 1980, and that's where pretty much the book ends. And that's why it's called I'm Keith Hernandez. Obviously, it's the Seinfeld connection, but it's also I'm Keith Hernandez. I'm a major league player. I belong in the big leagues. So I thought they, they, everybody thinks that the the title of the book is Seinfeld, but it, it's really signa- it's really uh, it, it has more meaning to it. And the book comes out uh, next Tuesday, May the fifteenth. So make sure you check it out. Uh, I'm Keith Hernandez. Keith Hernandez, two-time World Series champion, joining us here on Fox Sports Radio. So you spent time and had a lot of success in New York. If you were Matt Harvey's teammate while in New York, we know how everything turned out. Now he's a member of the Reds after being traded. If you were Matt Harvey's teammate in New York, what advice would you have given him in a way he could have maybe handled that situation or maybe things could have gone better for him? I don't know. I don't know Matt that well, uh, you know, other than a purely a, a, a player and a media relationship. Um he was going to do what he wanted to do. Uh, if I was a veteran player, I would, you know, he he put the the cart before the horse, and he wanted to be Joe Namath, and you know, you got to win a Super Bowl first, you know, and, and uh, before you can be the bon vivant of town. And I just think he got caught up in that, and um, uh, it had nothing to do with it, 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 nothing to do with affecting his performance. Uh, he's had serious surgery. He's not the same pitcher anymore that he used to be. He may not, he may never be again. And uh, he, you know, he has to learn to pitch now. Uh, uh, there's, there's nothing that I could do. Uh, other, each guy is his own individual. They're grown men. What am I going to be, their daddy? Uh, uh, you know, I, I got my own worries. You can go ahead and do what you want to do. Just come to the ballpark on time, and do your work. You had, and we've heard these stories before, where people have have struggled to deal with the spotlight in big cities. And you seemingly didn't have that issue. You were an All Star multiple times over. You are a World Series champion in New York. How did you handle the distractions that a big city could bring, and still focus on your job on the field? Well, when I came to New York, I was already an established veteran. When I was traded midseason in '83. I was 29 years old. I had won a World Series. I had won a batting title, won the most valuable player, a gold glove. I had attained pretty much everything in my career. So New York uh, became a new challenge for me, and that's how I looked at it. And sure, I lived in Manhattan, and it has a lot to offer. But I wouldn't have wanted to break in the big leagues like Daryl and Doc, uh, Dwight Gooden did, uh, uh, at a young age, great expectations, in the Big Apples, so it's a lot more pressure, a lot more uh, expectations, a lot less patience than when I broke in in St. Louis, where the fans were. Uh, they stick behind you. It's a very you know, it's a, it's a Midwest town, a cardinal tradition. New York, you know, it's what have you done for me lately? And uh, it would have been much more difficult for me. It was difficult enough with the positive vibes coming from the fans in St. Louis. I couldn't imagine. With the three years that I struggled, coming up as the heir apparent for replaced Joe Torrey, I was touted as the next Stan Musial, a certain Hall of Famer. Uh, I couldn't imagine having that uh, that on my shoulders and trying to break in in New York, whether the Yankees or the Mets. 1979 NL MVP Keith Hernandez joining us. The release of his memoir coming out this Tuesday, May 15th. I'm Keith Hernandez. 
You address in this book your dealings with cocaine and methamphetamines. Is that a, was that a lifestyle? No, I never did or, methamphetamines. Or, uh, 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 I never did methamphetamines. I'm sorry, amphetamines. That's that's that. That, that was that, me, that, Keith. Sorry no, that's that. that's an amphetamines. But when you when you yep. were dealing with that, and that's my bad. Strike that for the podcast, guys. Though when you're when you're when you dabbled in that, was that young baseball a player? Is that lifestyle? Is that dealing with the struggles that you mentioned? How did you get involved in those sort of activities? Well, I think it's it's pretty well documented that the game had amphetamines. It's been the people have mentioned that it was very prevalent in the game. As I was coming up in the minor leagues, uh, there weren't any in the A ball or Double A. But when I got to Triple A, where a lot of the players were ex major leaguers and trying to get back to the big leagues, I was twenty nineteen years old in Triple A and twenty, and a lot of the guys were. Uh, Almost, almost in their 30s, uh, and some were in their 30s. They had played in the big leagues, and they were around. And uh, when I got to the big leagues, they were around. Uh, it was part of the game. And um, there was nothing that I uh, did on a daily basis. Uh, I didn't hardly ever use them when I was young. I didn't really need them. Uh, but when I got a little bit older, I guess. Uh, but uh, it was just a part of the game. So it's not there anymore uh, with the steroids that came in and all that nonsense with the steroids. Um, everything has been, you know, these guys got to be squeaky clean. Uh, so, uh, and I don't feel that amphetamines had the same effect as steroids. Where steroids, as amphetamines, if I, it didn't make me 30 pounds heavier and all muscle weight. And not an ounce of fat on me, and hit the ball 50, 50 feet, 60 feet further. Amphetamines just got you through a doubleheader, a Sunday day game, when it was hot, and it was out of your system that night. Uh, where, 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 and steroids altered the landscape of the game. It changed the game, and it still casts its ugly shadow over the game with this uh, love affair with the long ball today and the strikeout. Uh, Keith Hernandez, two-time World Series champion with us here on Fox Sports Radio. Last one for me, Keith. What is a slump like? We'll, uh, we never know. We'll never play at the major league level, but I've always been fascinated. When you go through a slump, what is it like? Well, it's kind of inexplicable. Um, well, I think a lot of times, Lou Brock told me that uh, where Yogi said 90% of hitting is half mental, um, Lou pretty much said that 90% of a slump is mental fatigue. And your swing never changes. It's just, you know, you get a little bit tired mentally uh, and you don't realize it because you're, you know, you're a young guy and you're in great shape. But, you know, I played 155 games a year just about, so if not more. And uh, there are times you get a little tired and you don't realize it. You push through it. Uh, but it just it's just a matter of timing. It just kind of creeps in and uh, next thing you know you don't feel good at the plate and and it can last usually my slumps lasted for around 60 at bats so you figure four at bats a game uh, that's around almost two weeks of not feeling good at the plate coming to the ballpark not, not feeling like you never swung a bat in your life and it's not fun I guarantee you that but then it just is inexplicable when you break out. You get that one pitch that's been giving you trouble. In my case, it was the pitch outside. I could, I was pulling it, 
and I'd get that pitch, and I'd hit it into the left center field gap, opposite field gap, and I'd go, oh, there it is, I'm back, and then you break out and go into a hot streak. It's just one of those things that I would have one or two slumps a year, and a lot of other hitters, I'm sure, had more than that. And it's just part of the process of a season. I mean, I had I basically 1980. I had three. I think I hit 300 every month. Didn't slump at all that season. 79. I had a 230 April, and then I just I. Killed it the rest of the way. I hit like around 370 the rest of the way. Uh, so those were years that uh, I was just starting to get. I had Ted Simmons sitting behind me, by the way, a switch hitter, one of the great switch hitting catchers. So I was a younger guy. Ted was the veteran. They were going to come after me, let me beat them because I was not yet established. So when I got behind the count, I got I, they came after me. When I came to New York, uh, then they. I was established, and they start pitching you differently with more respect. So, uh, but the slump is just something that I could not. I can write a, a thousand word essay on it, and I would probably not make any sense. It's not your traditional sports memoir. I'm Keith Hernandez. On sale Tuesday, May fifteenth. The five-time All-Star and NL MVP and two-time World Champion Keith Hernandez. Thanks so much, Keith, for the time. We appreciate it, and hey, good luck with the book. Thank you so much for having me. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, guys. Back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. Heck, Yeah. And some waves, so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut, every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Plus. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Plus. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.